Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! So exciting for us to be here on this, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and that was Shelly Mazanoba. Hey! How are you? You were doing so much great cheering there. I had to give you props. Thanks. I'm especially excited for today's episode. It's true. It's not only the week after D&D Direct and all of the amazing announcements happened there. We'll get to talking about spell jammers and dragon lances and all of the amazing things in it soon. But today we get to talk to an old friend, Adam Lee. Yay! A beloved friend. So many wonderful things uh, for the Dungeons & Dragons over the past few years. Now he's doing stuff on his own and doing wonderful things as well. But one of them is uh, is a D&D related thing called the Tarot Deck. Yes. And there's no greater person to do this than Adam, who is like an experienced tarot card reader. Mm -hmm. I learn so much about tarot in this upcoming interview because I know almost nothing about it. Yes, you will learn lots and also really cool ways that you can incorporate tarot cards into your D&D games. And your lives. And your lives. Right? I can't wait. So stick around for the interview with Adam Lee on the D&D tarot deck that's coming uh, in May, May 24th. You'll be able to pick that up in bookstores and all the other major uh, amazing places you buy things at. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, as well, I mentioned D&D Direct. There's tons of information. If you haven't seen that yet, go to the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube and Twitch channel. You'll find out all about the amazing um, uh, products that are coming out this year and deep dives on all of them. Can't really summarize it all here because there's just so much in it. Too much. Too much. Yes, so go, go check those out. Treat yourself. Um, but in the meantime, we also want to have a little fun and meet a little monster mm-hmm. by the name of the Bakunawa. Which sounds fake. Which it, well, I mean, everything's fake, right? I mean, just that sounds like you just sneezed that one out. Bakunawa! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's go and talk to Mackenzie de Armas about the Bakunawa! <laughs> I'm sorry, I need to clear my throat. Welcome to another segment of Meet Your Monsters. Uh, Yay! It's very fun. We get to talk about uh, monsters in 5th edition, and we are joined by Mackenzie DeArmas. Hi, Mackenzie. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me back again and letting me talk about uh, my precious monster babies. I I mean, how could we not after your, what were they, danger noodles? Lightning noodles! (laughs) It's so good. You really do. You are like my favorite cryptozoologist. I just picture like Mackenzie <laughs> oh, and like this you. very, like a little Dr. Doolittle setup <laughs> with all these very strange, cute monsters running around. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to meet a, another cute, cute, in, in air <laughs> cute? quotes, monster. I uh, think they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's all that matters. That's yeah, I think they're adorable and wonderful and precious. <laughs> Just like all of them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what can you tell us about the Bakuna Noa? The Bakunawa? Bakunawa. Uh, Dang it. I, do, yeah. I knew I was going to get it no, wrong. No, no, it's fine. It, it's uh, it's it, it, 
what is it? Filipino pronunciation, or I think a more Tagalogi pronunciation. It takes a bit for my for for me to have gotten the hang of it. Um, and even then, uh, I still will never be fully able to get rid of like the American accent I have for it. Right. So um, it's a it's a it's a it's a lots of practicing in the in the bathroom or in the closet just trying to make sure I'm saying things correctly. So yeah, the the Bakunawa, which is going to be appearing in Journey Through the Radiant Citadel, which I'm super excited Yay! for. Yay. This is like fun yes. little preview teaser then. Yeah. Um so uh just to start what 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 is the Bakunawa? Right. Um and so in the original Filipino myths or where it first appears um, and when I say Filipino myths, it is more to just sort of, it is very much a generalization. Uh, there isn't one singular like Filipino pantheon. Like there is, you know, a very uh, almost universally known like Greek pantheon. Right. Um, the Filipino mythology is very much divided among the various different tribes and different indigenous cultures that inhabit the archipelago of the Philippines. Um, but we often use Filipino mythology as just kind of a shorthand to talk to talk about that whole collection of stories. Um, and uh, those stories have this very uh, have a lot of common reoccurring elements. And one of them is the story of the Bakunawa. Uh, Bakunawa are considered to be uh, sea serpents. They are said to be uh, bringers of storms and earthquakes and eclipses. And oh. they also are very notably known uh, to be a part of the uh, various different uh, monsters of the Philippines that uh, swallow the moon. Swallow the moon? Yep, swallow the moon. Oh, okay. Yeah, it just, it happens. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It happens, you know, your average day. Um, and then is that because was, of the, the changes in the lunar cycle? Was that meant to it's, uh, embody that? It was that? meant to be like the eclipse mm. um, and does sort of tie into, uh, in the way that many myths are explanations of natural phenomena, uh, the story of Bakunawa swallowing the moon is how eclipses happen. I see. Um, mm, okay. And so we've taken uh, the various myths of the Bakunawa and we have been able to uh, transport these very fantastical epic stories uh, into the wonderful world of Dungeons and Dragons, which has been super exciting because I don't think people quite realize how ubiquitous dragons are across different myths and different cultures. Um, Because I think oftentimes when you think of dragon, you think of either the uh, like the bat winged one that you see like in fizz bands or in very uh, like medieval European mythology, or you'll think of the East Asian dragons. Um, That is, and normally people only think of that uh, dragons in that binary, but there are dragons in almost every kind of myth and culture, they just kind of present themselves differently. Uh, in the same way that in Fizzbends, we talked about how dragons are extensions of the material plane. Um, so are uh, dragons in other cultures, extensions of material plane and human uh, human nature. And so the Bakunawa are uh, extensions of uh, storms and, and, and tides and earthquakes and that kind of natural phenomena. These sort of natural phenomena that maybe wouldn't, be of uh, incredible importance to people who live in very like landlocked areas, but for people who inhabit an archipelago, people who are very seafaring, uh, storms and tides and things that would change the night sky are very key and important to them. Wow. Yeah. So what yeah. does the 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 Bakunua look like? So uh, the description in mythology, it varies, but in our book, we have 
portrayed them as these beautiful gargantuan serpentine kind of creatures with these iridescent scales and uh, also wings, but not in the same way that dragon wings are usually like that bat shape. We have instead gone with uh, almost a feathery kind of look, um, almost eagle-like. And so it's this long serpent that almost looks a little bit like a moray eel with its jaw. And then these numerous sets of these beautiful iridescent, uh, very sharp feathers, which also pay tribute to other um, Filipino myths uh, because Filipino eagles are terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And that, yep, when when you make, when cultures come up with the fantastical creatures that inhabit their worlds, uh, they will reference the things in their day-to-day life that are terrifying. And Filipino eagles are terrifying. Uh, I remember talking to friends and they were like, oh yeah, um, it's like an urban legend that uh, because Philippine eagles are very big and known to uh, swipe up like monkeys, oh. uh, if you are small enough, it will take your child. Best watch out. Wow. So oh, Wow. Yeah. So they're not yeah. like revered like they are here where you just stop and gaze upon they, they a, are, a beautiful they eagle. Revered. They are revered in the same way that like many uh, deities in like uh, Western cultures are revered and also feared. feared. They are respected. Um, and it, it extends from a lot of like how uh, many Filipino cultures uh, examine the world and see the world uh, through like the lens of animism. They mm. view like eagles and other extensions of the natural world as not adversaries, but merely part of the world that we get to inhabit and we have that uh, privilege of sharing with them. And so they respect the eagles. They do not mess with the eagles. Right. And I love that this this the sea serpent that you're describing has these eagle yes. wings. Uh, yes. are, how how uh, yeah. large are they in, in our in the DD book? Uh the wings or the 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 the, the, the monster itself. <laughs> They're gargantuan. Very so big. I'm sorry. This is now a flying monster? Oh, yeah. It flies through both because it is an avatar of storm and tide. It goes seamlessly between the sea and the sky wow. and winds around the islands. And it is beautiful and terrifying in the best ways. Wow. So how would you uh, use this in a, in a D&D game as a dungeon master? Uh, how, would, how would you bring them forth? Oh gosh, I cannot wait. Firstly, I just I need to say I cannot wait for Radiant Citadel to come out because uh, the Bacchanoa does appear in an adventure in that book, and it is so beautifully incorporated. And I won't spoil anything, but I will say um, I can't wait to play it or run it. It's going to be super cool. But if I cool. were if I were to take the Bacchanoa and put it into my own settings. Um, it becomes very much of a um, I have I very much two sides of myself when I DM. The first side is the very goblin gremlin energy side, which is what like danger lightning noodles come from. And then there's the second side that is incredibly not necessarily esoteric, but loves looking at how like myths and, and gods and pantheons in the real world develop. I have a little bit of a uh, I'm a little bit of a theology like fiend in terms of like studying that. And I think if I would want to introduce the Bacchanoa in the world, I would very much want to lean into the stories and the legends of the Bacchanoa that um, while they may not have made it into the stat block on account of it's hard to just put swallow the moon as an action in a stat (laughs) block. um, 
they are still these incredible stories that also inspired a lot of uh, festivals and stuff. Mm. So in, in real life history, uh, when the Bakunawa would follow the moon, uh, what a lot of cultures would do would they would have, um, uh, they would all run, they'd go outside and they would bang drums and shout and make a lot of noise. And it was be through that that they would essentially scare the serpent away or, or mm. force it to regurgitate the moon. And that's why the moon uh, would reappear. I was going to ask you, how, yeah. how did, what's the story behind why did the moon reappear? But that's and how that, it that is okay. that is how it is through the the cacophonous uh, yelling of and uh, music and the drumming of the um, the people, and I think that is the sort of interaction I would want to hinge introducing the Bakunawa into a, a setting on the idea that instead of just being like m- like distant solitary. Um, threats like like the dragons that like live alone in their lairs this is a dragon that um interacts and almost has a symbiotic relationship with the people around it Mm. it is both the protector of the island but it is also something to be feared uh the people of the island uh know of it they will leave uh, offerings to it and in return it protects their islands or something like that oh, or, or something along the lines of where the the myths are very active in the culture and they have those festivals where they uh bang the drums and and shout to the sky and that is how characters are introduced to the idea of this creature a, a living story that uh a, a this coastal city or town or even a uh, realm believes in um and they, that idea that that belief is a actual concrete, tangible, gargantuan force in the world. Are they intelligent? Yes, they are as intelligent as uh, uh, your uh, your dragons in like Fizzband. So just as like your your metallic dragons or your chromatic dragons or your drum dragons, uh, you have uh, these. They have the same sort of level of intelligence um, and. Uh, I don't want to say characterization because like all individual dragons personalities um, differ, but they have a lot of the same tenets of that, like pride and that haughtiness and mm. that almost ruthlessness in battle. Uh, the, though we were not able to put swallow the moon in the stat block, we were able to put swallow in the stat block. So it's a big dragon that is very prideful and will essentially swallow anyone who gets in its way mm. and just, just get rid of them. That's so cool. Are they, could they be manipulated by different factions so that, you know, even though it is supposed to be this kind of force of nature, protective and or destructive force, there could be villains who are manipulating it. Uh, yes. For their that, own well, that, that would be, that might be a little spoilery for the adventure. In oh, okay. Citadel. I'm, I'm just spitballing on how I would do it. No, no, no. So the answer is yes, but um, in the same way that any, individual can be in the same way that dragons could be uh they can certainly be influenced by outside forces and that is certainly something that plays a pivotal role in how it appears in the adventure in radiant citadel um and i i think that's super super neat so in mythology there was Mm -hmm. one is that true or was it like are there multiples it varies on the tribe that you hear the story uh, that that is uh or which uh indigenous tribe you are hearing the story from there are a lot of versions of the story where the where bakunawa is one individual it is one big sea serpent who 
essentially saw the moons, thought they were very pretty, and got <laughs> jealous of them, and then decided to eat them. Oh. Um, but once, like, uh, culture sort of developed, it did get a little, like, syncretized with, like, the, the stories of, like, the Naga and other, like, sea serpent stories. So then more of them started to populate, which is kind of how we've uh, leaned more into for how they appear in Radiant Citadel. Uh, they are, um, it is not just one and only one Bakunawa exists. Uh, they are uh, a collective, uh, a kind of creature that can appear. How would you portray them if you were to uh, embody them as like a, with a voice or that haughtiness that you were talking about? Very, very much lean into that uh, like pride and like I almost want to go in a direction of like if you've seen Smaug from The Hobbit, that almost vain, vain preeningness mm. would be something I would like to explore. Um, the idea that they are proud um, and very in paying homage to the original myth of them being jealous of the moon's beauty, uh, being very uh, vain in that aspect and very quick to anger in like similar myths of like when people say Aphrodite isn't the most beautiful goddess, uh, that sort of quick to anger kind of personality. But I think also I would love to see uh, them almost in the same way that Fizban is portrayed in a lot of places of this kind of old presence that operates around the society and just sort of teaches people uh, because these are very old dragons uh, mm. and they are old protectors and they live much longer than the people uh, who inhabit the archipelagos they protect. And so I love also the flip side of this uh, creature who is terrifying and s still very prideful, but that pride comes from years of wisdom and years of understanding what it takes to protect this uh this place that it calls home do they are do they have allies in other creatures they they in how they appear in radiant citadel they do or, or they did at least uh part of their history is that they did work alongside uh the inhabitants of the the uh the land that they the land that appears in radiant citadel that 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 realm uh to protect it uh long long ago but that is old history and now there is a little bit of tension between people who want to hunt them down and people who try and remember the uh not necessarily like the old ways but the this the old stories and that original relationship they had where they worked side by side to protect uh, and be these massive powerful revered forces of the islands what are some, um, you mentioned the, the the visuals, but what are some other like tactile details about them? Like, do they smell a certain way? Do they, do they, you know, uh, you mentioned the featheriness of their, of their, of their wings, but like, yeah, how, how, how would you, how would you know they were there if you weren't seeing them? Um, so this is not, this is just me sort of spitballing yeah. and kind of how I would is slowly do that slow approach, you know, that camera pan over the ocean uh, sort of feeling. Um, I kind of imagine that because they are uh, very much tied to like the sea and 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 rains and storms, I think it would be very cool to have like that that very salty smell of the ocean kind of following them, as well as that like that hum in the air that happens like when when lightning is about to strike or that almost acrid smell of lightning strikes. Yeah, I think it would be cool. The idea of 
um, them moving through the air and like that almost thunderous reverberation, I think would be super neat. Um, and also something I think that would be fun is because their wings are feathery, uh, those feathers can shed. So if you're just walking on the approach to uh, where the Bakunawa lives or sleeps and you see these very gargantuan uh, iridescent feathers just sort of jutting up out of the ground. Um, I can imagine they might be like the texture of regular feathers or they might be um, like the te- almost like, can you imagine like feathers, the texture of dragon scales, like hard mm. and sharp um, and or even if they they are light and feathery, but if you try and grab them, they would like slice your hands or something like that. That that idea that they are still dragon parts and they are they still are sharp and dangerous just as much as the dragon they came from. Beautiful and dangerous. Yes. yes. But what a cool way to like drop a hint to your party though. Like, mm-hmm. This is coming. Something's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a rock or it could be a bakunawa. How would it feel if, um, like, somebody wanted to collect their feathers, or you know, if they like found one of those feathers and turned it into, you know, something that that they would wear? Like, I feel like this creature would be like, "Bitch, no! Like, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, they're too vain or like too upset at yes. like like somebody trying to portray them." Like at such like you're such you're so low level. No, I feel like there there is like the flip side of for the most part being like, no, don't. That's no. How dare you? But I also (laughs) I think it's almost like that. How dare you try and imitate me? Yeah. When you know that I am way more than than you are and you ever will be. Yes. Uh, But I also think it would be super cool or this very interesting uh, like a quest to almost like petition. Uh, a bakunawa for like one of their feathers or something because you need that material uh, for its like exquisite sharpness or its unique properties you or you need that blessing from the bakunawa and so you go to its lair and you have to petition it and in order to get mm-hmm. it you have to prove yourself worthy of it bestowing such a divine gift upon yeah. you i think that would be such a cool adventure hook as well Gosh, yeah. And then you describing that petitioning thing too. Like I like the idea also of using this as not an adversary, but someone you have to negotiate with. Mm-hmm. Perhaps yep. for some reason the you need the moon taken out. Maybe you need the moon gone for a while for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, can you go up <laughs> we, there and swallow the moon? We gotta kill the moon. Me? Moon's haunted. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yes, you need a complete complete darkness for some part yeah. of your quest or yeah. yeah. I think it'd be cool. There are certainly a lot of like another reason why we, we couldn't just reference like, oh, it swallows the moon is because when we design monsters in in house, we always want them to be portable, regardless of whether or not you use them in the setting they appear in. You can, you know, move them around and stuff. And so it was really hard to actually just reference like the moon or the sun right. in its stat block because not every world has the same number of moons or suns and right. and that is always um we always have to be conscious of that when we're designing it's such a small detail but it plays a very big role in how we actually design these monsters um but i can't imagine like if you are in a world that's like i don't like critical roles exandria where there is like the the bright silver moon and then the cursed moon uh and if you were to take that cursed moon or that concept and needing something who can eliminate it 
and looking into the histories of like way back then there was this beautiful dragon-like creature that was said to have swallowed the moon and then something happened and then now the moon's back and so now you need to go find that creature again and be like you need to swallow the moon again please <laughs> somehow it passed, it passed through it, your it passed entire through. <laughs> system moon's back and it's haunted uh, fix it please it. <laughs> Well, I love that. I love so much about uh, the storytelling aspect of this. I mean, it seems like a very powerful monster, too. So it'll be a, yeah. a, 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 yeah. a it's powerful one of the, I think it's one of the strongest monsters that appears in Radiant Citadel, which was such a, a fun thing for me because uh, it's often something, um, whether intentionally or not, a lot of times uh, monsters that come from non-Western or non-European uh, mythologies end up uh, being on the lower challenge rating level or mm. people always think they aren't as powerful mm. as they are. And so getting to create a monster that is so distinctly Filipino and also so incredibly powerful and strong in its own right yeah. uh, in in a way that it, it feels like other dragons, but it is also wholly unique in its own thing was such a fun and like fulfilling thing to do as a designer. That's so cool. Well, I can't wait for Journeys Through the Radiant City to come out. I can't wait, too. It's going to be so good. There are so many cool monsters in that book. Oh, we're going to meet them all eventually yes. on June 21st of this year. Soon. So check it out. Mackenzie, thank you so much for, for being here and talking through this uh, Baku Noir. Uh, where can people find out and maybe ask you questions about uh, you, you know all these myths and stories? Um, so you can find me over on Twitter uh, at Mackenzie Lane D.A. That's M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-D-A. Um, that is where I will not only be uh, talking about like the cool new stuff D&D is uh, coming out with, D&D is coming out with and, and talking about uh, and, and showing off like the, the new books when they're published. Um, but also, you know, just talking about day to day life and other uh, things that I do in my home games as I terrify my poor players with my own monsters. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on and getting Thank us you for uh, having me. introduced to this monster. I can't, I can't wait. Thanks a lot. It's going to be a good time. I know a lot about the Pakunawa now. Uh, uh, I did not know that beforehand. And I didn't know have. anything. I honestly can say I've never heard of, of this one, uh, this monster. So I officially have met Mackenzie's monster. And that's, as, <laughs> as, as we say many times, that's half the reason why we do uh, this podcast is so that we can learn about all that and impart that knowledge to y'all. Yes. In- inspiration abounds. Just like how this conversation with Adam Lee tells us all about uh, not just tarot cards, but about ourselves. Oh, can't wait. All right. Let's get Adam on the phone. Everyone, let's welcome Adam Lee back to Dragon. Oh, yes, yes, Adam Lee. Yay. <laughs> oh, it's good to be back. Oh, my God. Dragon. <laughs> so happy to see your face. Yeah, it's good to see both of you. Yeah, it's been a long time. And uh, yeah, you both look amazing. And oh. you, are, uh, you are in my thoughts often. Oh. Yes. We have we've spent about the last uh, 20 minutes here in our prep uh, basically just lambasting you with compliments. Uh, and how much we, yeah. we, we, it, we it love was, you as a beautiful human being. It was sort of pathetic, I will say. <laughs> I mean, like, we just could not stop the platitudes from rolling off of uh, our tongues. We, everybody, including Ryan and Lisa, they're just, 
Everybody loves you, Adam Lee. Oh, man, I feel it. I feel the love. I hope and, uh, so. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, one of the things I, I, well, the thing I miss most about uh, being at Wizards is the people and hanging out with you guys every day and just cruising by the cubes and chatting and finding out what cool things you were up to and making and and then seeing all the cool stuff Ryan and Lisa are doing, like, holy smokes, they're like movie makers now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> How cool is that? It's really cool. I yeah. know. Yeah, all the creative output, it, that is, that's what makes it a special place. So, yeah. Yeah. And for folks that, you know, are, are unaware, Adam was a, a game designer uh, at uh, D&D and Magic the Gathering for mm-hmm. more than yeah. a decade. That's just crazy yeah. to think about. Yeah, it was weird. I started on Magic in, as a freelancer in 2005 when mm-hmm. Cold Snap came out. I worked on that set. Wow. And then 2010, I came on full-time. Uh, moved out from Ohio, where I was ping-ponging all back and forth across the US of A um, in search of a quest. And uh, yeah, <laughs> wound up at Wizards and worked on Magic for four or five years, uh, making worlds and characters. And uh, then 2014-ish, uh, uh, opening on D&D happened. I jumped over and worked on my childhood dream, which was Dungeons and Dragons, which I played as a wee lad. Aww. And uh, yeah, it was great. Making adventures and writing stories and meeting really awesome people and just doing that work. And then, uh, yeah, wound up working there till 2001, November 2001, I left and, and went off on my own. 2021. And, uh, 2000, yeah. 2000, 2000, yeah. 2001. Yeah. You went Whoa. back in time. Yeah. Time is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> in this pandemic, for sure. <laughs> yeah, out of 20 years there. Like, yeah. I still think like like the year 2000 is like the future. I know. Yeah. Yes. Like that Conan O'Brien sketch of like, the yeah. year 2000. Yes. Like when somebody says, oh, like that was like 20 years ago. I'm like, so like 1970? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. Time is nuts. Uh, and then, yeah, so I loved, I mean, obviously you did so much great work at uh, Dungeons & Dragons, working on the adventures and all that stuff. Um, but I always loved that you were a, a, a greeting card I, writer. Yes. And then uh, you're so good at putting storytelling details into something in very few words. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things that when... Uh, I started off in 2005 as a freelancer. I was doing names and flavor text. I was also writing short stories for the web and coming up with some world building stuff. But yeah, the thing that they really liked uh, was that I could write flavor text like nobody's business. So, and that was all because of greeting card, all the work I'd done in greeting cards. So I'd done greeting cards for years before that and uh, worked at American Greetings and did freelance for like Hallmark and Target, these, these shops. But the idea was like to take a thing like, how do you tell somebody you love them? Or how do you tell somebody you appreciate them for their birthday and distill it so it fits into a card yeah. and it's like funny or touching or sincere, you know, it's not just like, Bleh. so it, it's hard. Like people think, oh, I pick up a greeting card and, and, you know, but there's a lot of thought that goes in, into each one of those. So it was the same for magic cards. Like it seems like just a little blurb, but, you know, once I learned about the craft and then I, then ultimately when I got to wizards and then I was working with freelancers distilling, you know, so many submissions come in for, you know, a good piece of flavor text. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just little tweaks, you know, these little turn of phrase or just one word and or nuance. And, 
So uh, yeah, it's it's an art form and, and it was a lot of fun. But yeah, that's what got me into uh, writing for for magic. And wow. I did that for the um, the D and D coloring book. I always loved your short uh, oh, stories yeah. that accompanied the artwork uh, with the coloring book. That just again brought it to life with very very little you know little amount of text. It was so great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, those those are fun. Those are fun. And I right. you know like I used to you know like I once upon a time wanted to be a children's book author and i have like all these sort of books that never got published deals and you know not but, yet uh, well yeah it's true Shelley. you never know, <laughs> you know. i'll dig <laughs> all once you go out. back in time to 20 2001 yes. and you can submit all of those <laughs> my life has a time traveler but yeah uh you know, that was that was a really fun little project because just like i love writing to um you know illustrations like when I worked in D and D and magic, but mainly D and D was like Richard and I like Richard, who was the concept artist, an awesome illustrator. And he would just draw stuff, these crazy little headshots or little monsters. And I just write stuff to him. And you can see that working like out of the abyss and in uh, curse of Strahd, mm-hmm. Richard did all these great NPCs and I would just create like who they were. Um, and that was just like so fun. It was kind of the same thing as like on the coloring book, like Todd, was it Todd James who did those? Mm-hmm. Um, right. It, his, his, his work is just like super fun. And, you know, it was like, okay, what's this scene telling me? So yeah. Yeah. Those that, cool jobs were what made working on D&D the extra, it was like the extra icing on the cake. So, yeah. And I love, I mean, I'm bringing all this up because of the topic of today's conversation is the upcoming D&D tarot deck uh, mm-hmm. that yeah. is going to be available. More cards. There's a theme here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tarot right. cards, it's... greeting cards. Maybe we should do a, a line of D&D greeting cards. Just going to put that out there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there was, there's actually, I've got a, you know, I added like a file of like all the ideas. I think Shauna was, um, she was like really, like, you know, but she would put out a D&D greeting card and then Emmy would draw them. Oh. Um, and we did a, we did a couple, I, I think I wrote a few of those, but, um, but yeah, yeah, those were, those were a lot of fun. And uh, yes, I think that would be very, very handy. Just, just putting that out there. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, the tarot card deck, which we it will be available in May 24th. This was a project that really could not have been more perfect for you. Being that it's D and D tarot cards, but also you have a background in actual tarot card reading. Yeah, yeah. a scholar it's, of tarot cards. A scholar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like ever since I was a kid, uh, I was you know interested in it. I think I think the thing about tarot it, to me is that it's mysterious. Um, that nobody really knows sort of the origin of these uh, the cards, where they came from. They just kind of popped in um in the middle ages as like a playing card deck but then later on these um it, people got into mysticism and especially in like the 18th century and 19th century like there was this sort of movement uh of people that said hey the tarot card really is dates back to ancient egypt and it's one of the stories goes that um, the Egyptian priests knew that, you know, the library of Alexandria was going to be destroyed. All this information was going to be wiped out about sort of Egyptian magic and Egyptian philosophy and Egyptian sort of knowledge. 
And so they wanted to encode all of it into uh, these cards so that they could be sort of innocuous and, and you know, Caesar or whoever was going to wipe it out um, wouldn't know about it. And so that was the story around it. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, there, there was this fellow called Eliphas Levy or Levi, and mm. he was the one who started to take the tarot from sort of like a playing card game, which is sort of how it was traditionally seen, and move it into this sort of mystical, magical thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I remember seeing tarot cards as a kid and just thinking, what are these things? Even playing cards, which, you know, sort of, they kind of influence one another. Um, you know, there's, there's just sort of, why were they made like that? What the, what does all the, the different cards mean? So, um, and also I was, I was interested as into like the mysteries of life and, you know, what are we all doing here and how do we help each other out? And so, uh, as a tarot, kid, you were interested in that? Yeah. Yeah. As a young adult, you know, <laughs> this like, does it surprise was, me. <laughs> I was like, you know, I remember seeing him as 12 and, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and just being fascinated with them. And then later on, like, and when I got into my teens, I started to, you know, like, you know, look at all the different decks. And then when I got into my twenties, I was using it as a way to sort of like ask questions. And what I found was like with any sort of mystical thing, there is a section of it that is um, complete charlatanism <laughs> where it can be completely abused and used for the wrong purposes. Um, and then there's another part of it that I think, and that's the part that I really liked about tarot is that tarot for me is about having a really powerful conversation with another human being. And it's about asking questions. In fact, in the, the little booklet that I wrote, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I mentioned is that Really, it's the the power is in the asking of the question, and, and really to think about what is a good question, um, mm. and what that question will lead. So, one the example I use in the book is that instead of asking like, "Well, why am I so sad all the time?" That's a terrible <laughs> question. The best question is like, "How do I, how do I live a life that's fun and joyful?" Because that answer is going to lead me into a, a different direction than why am I sad all the time. The right. answer to why am I sad all the time is well, I was. You know, you know, I've been, you know, had a hard life, or I've been, you know, I'm super depressed, or whatever. But the thing of like, how do I become joyful, and how do I get the most out of my life? That's going to lead me into a different direction. So, to me, uh, I don't. When I've used it, you know, tarot, and you know, just for myself, or when I did it for other people, it was like uh, we're having a conversation, and in that conversation, we're asking ourselves these kinds of questions. And that the answer is not in the person who is, you know, quote unquote, reading the cards. The answer is in the person who is having the card reading done for them. So you'll see a lot of tarot readers um, start out by saying, you know, like some of them will be like, well, they're putting that down and they'll say, oh, this, you are going through this and as, as if they know the answer. And, and I'm, that kind of makes me cringe a bit. Um, mm. Really, uh, I, I see it as like the person has the answer within themselves. And my job as the reader is to find, help them unlock their own answer. Um, that way it, it's more meaningful for the person. So I'll throw over a card and I'll be, you know, I might say to the person like, what is that? When you first see that card, how does it make you feel? And, and any answer is the right answer because really it's 
a lot of it is subconscious. Like somebody will see that and then automatically they go, oh, that card makes me feel like hopeful. It's like, oh, that's good. Okay. And then I might say something like, okay, well, you know, this card means, has a symbol like, you know, this card here. And the card is the king. And right here, there's a sword that's buried in the ground, but from the sword, there's a tree growing. And so that that symbol, I you know, I might say like, well, that king card is saying that you know you're you're planting your sword in the ground. The sword can represent intellect, you know, the cutting the truth from a lie. It can also represent the end of violence or aggression, you know. And from that grows this beautiful tree. It's like putting something to bed, putting something, burying the hatchet. So there's all these cool symbols that are in each card that you can invent on your own or it might make you think about something and that's the fun thing about the tarot because it creates that conversation and because when people come to have a tarot reading they're already in a space of and i want to i want something magical you know i want to experience something fun and different and i'm also ready to be a bit vulnerable and kind of go out outside of maybe my comfort zone and just have a conversation that's different. It's like, it's not like, oh, how's the weather? Oh, it's fine. How's Jimmy? Well, Jimmy's great. You know, like it's not one of those conversations. It's more of like, what's really going on in your life? And what do you really think about this? And how do you really feel? And to get to those points in people's sort of lives where they're like, I don't know how I feel about that. That's a good place to be. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to have a conversation about that and start to unlock things. Or maybe create something from nothing. You know, that's it's like, really well, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I never thought of, went on. But. No, no, that's <laughs> great. I, I just had never thought of, of tarot reading in that like shared space idea, right? Where you know, uh, often I think about when people talk about talk, talk therapy and 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 the breakthroughs that might that might occur when you're on a weekly basis talking to someone. I've thought about this, where I'm like, oh, well, that's because you went to this session knowing that you're going to have a conversation like this. Like there's a framework involved where you can't have that conversation sometimes with a loved one because there's all that other information that in that relationship that's happening. But here it is, the focus is going to be on me and my feelings. And that's can be one of the you know most exciting aspects of therapy like that. Similar also to just like stand-up comedy when people are like, you know, I, I, I've been asked in the past, be like, oh, you're funny? Well, why don't you just tell me a joke? And I'm like, mm, nope, that's not going to work. It's not going to be funny. You're challenging me already, and you're not going to be with the mindset of wanting yeah, you're to not laugh. Receptive to, but when people go to a comedy club, they are receptive to like, oh, I'm going to laugh for this two hours or however long they're in that room because they're already bought into the experience. And the way, you, and, and even D and D is like this to a certain extent. Like we're going to be talking about you know fantasy tropes and archetypes uh, around a D and D table because we're all bought in to that experience. And I just have never really kind of thought about tarot readings in, in quite that same way but the way you're talking about it it almost really doesn't matter what the artifice is it's it's the invitation of two people coming together yeah. to have this conversation yeah that's it it's an excuse to have a deeper conversation or a different conversation and the tarot cards throw in that random element which is kind of the surprise and delight um and, and i've never had a tarot card reading that i've done that has ever never floored me as to like wow it's cool and it might be a case of that every card is going to lead to this like there's many paths to the top of the mountain so really the the answer is is almost like there it's just how to help a person 
really just give them a space in which to go there. You know, like yeah. people, a lot of the times are nobody ever bothers to listen to somebody and nobody ever bothers to ask them a question and nobody ever bothers to just create the space in which is like, this is your time to find out something about yourself. That's important that you think is important. It's not about me. You know, it's not about, Oh, check out my psychic powers. You know, it's like, eh, <laughs> Nope. It's about the person who came there for the reading and like, and sometimes weird possibly psychic shit happens on these things, but you know, who knows the, the, the idea is that, that it's creating that space and also, and letting that person get in asking them the right questions and they unlock their own stuff, you know, because it's there, mm. somebody can feel it. You know, some, some people come to me for, you know, in the past came to me for tarot and they were just like, that's eh, going to, let's, let's do it for a laugh. Let's do it for fun. And it was great. But some people came to me in deep crisis, you know, and, you know, I have, you know, some really powerful stories about, you know, people who unlocked some stuff. And I was just there for the ride and really just holding that space for them, allowing them and asking them questions or saying stuff that they probably already, already knew. Um, and that was, and that's the privilege of being a reader. You know, it's like you, you get to be with that human um, in some of those moments and it's all up to them like they get to go as deep as they want to go and they get to be as real as they want to be. And huh. that's cool. And my job is just to hold that space of non-judgment and encouragement and saying that, you know, that it's like, I may be the one person that you get to just be absolutely yourself with. And, you know, um, like go for it. <laughs> yeah. So. It's weird. So you mentioned, like sometimes some psychic shit might happen, which is yeah. to me, like you said sometimes, but like I've had tarot card readings and I feel like they always lean really in hard to like the fortune telling aspect. Yeah, yeah. And you're, yeah. you're saying that's not in your, like how you've ever used the tarot card. Like it's not meant to be like, I always see them like, they, they always say like, put your hand over the deck. Like yeah, my, yeah. my energy seeps into the deck and like the cards are that are um, flipped over are like meant to, for me, like specifically, it's not, yeah. you know, they, they say it's not random. Like these are the ones that have a message for you or whatever. They always place them in like a certain formation. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. Do you, it's like, yeah. I, I guess like still, in your mind, is it really, it's more of like just a tool for somebody to find answers, but not necessarily like fortune telling, like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so my background, like my, my father's side of the family are, are Romani people. So then the technical, you know, the, the sort of not so wonderful term is the gypsy. So my, my, my dad, was part gypsy. My grandfather was a full on gypsy. I was, and I'm got gypsy in him. So I, I've been exposed to that, the culture. And so in the culture, because they're traditionally the, you know, the fortune tellers, like cross my palm with Silva and I will tell you, your future. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and, and a part of in the gypsy culture, that's like, um, uh, that's a, it, it's a way to make a living, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, um, but, 
behind the scenes, the, the, you know, the Roma people, they're like, no, this is a way of like investigating yourself. Like the Roma people are all about, um, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's a rich culture. Um, one of the things is that it's all written. It's all not, not written word, but it's all spoken. It's all oral tradition. So it's a lot of the stuff is handed down through speaking. And so conversation is, is massive. And, uh, so the idea that, um, there's a little bit of razzle dazzle and, and, you know, like the illusion, like the, Oh, the table levitated all that. That's like, <laughs> you know, some of the charlatans, the, the, the bad, the bad ones, that's where that all came from. And I think that has, um, been sort of the negative influence, but the, the real, uh, the real application of the tarot or fortune telling is is actually just sitting down with somebody and having a, a deep conversation with them. Now, the world is a strange place. And, and you know, there is that question of like, what, what is actually going on? Do we know what's actually happening here? Like, hmm. um, you know, quantum physicists are like how, you know, like people are quantumly entangled. And so there's all these weird explanations of like, how does somebody get an insight into another person? And like some people have experienced telepathy and some people have experienced like, you know, a deep connection on some other level, or some people have had a flash and just realized, Oh, something weird is going to happen and I better get out of here. And then suddenly a car wreck happens and they're like, I don't know what happened. So it, it, I love the fact that the world is still mysterious that way. Now is, is tarot a part of that? Eh, maybe, you know, that there are ways, you know, you lay out the cards in a certain order that that can be done sometimes where you're like the central card is sort of the issue. And then the card to the right of it is like, what could happen in the future? Or that it's like the, you know, the conscious mind. And then the card to the left of it's the unconscious mind or what's, what's happened in the past. And so there's different ways you can lay the cards out that have different meanings. And that's just to like help you give a framework to sort of guide the conversation. Um, but when I do it, I just throw cards out. I just have people pick cards and, you know, I kind of get them to talk about what they are, they're feeling. And the cards always come out in a sort of interesting way. And there are some cards, sometimes somebody will pull a card and throw it down and they'll be like, and in my head, I'm like, oh, that card just totally doesn't apply. Um, but then they're like, they'll say something to the, to the point of this card means so much to me. <laughs> and I'll be like, I, how did that happen? I don't know that. And that's the fun thing about tarot is because at the end of the day, yes, you've had a conversation. Yes. You've connected with another human being. And maybe that's the mystical thing. You know, maybe the mystical thing is that two people took the time to really get real with one another. And maybe that's the thing that opens up, the doors and maybe that's the thing that makes you know uh maybe that's where the breakthrough is you know i don't know i still don't know to this day what actually is going on here but you know it's fun and it it's the end result is uh people feeling heard and people feeling that they matter and people feeling um like special like it's like it's when you go to get a massage or you go and you go to a therapist or something, or you go to a good friend and you have a talk, you know, it's, yeah. it's this place where I get to go and I get to be very real and maybe in a different way than I am with my friends, my family, or even myself. Like, so yeah, it's a cool, it, that's why I love it. I, I think it's, I think 
there's so many correlations to what you're describing with these readings and Dungeons and Dragons and, and that play, right? Because the random element is yeah. is similar, and, you know, different, but 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 has the same kind of a uh, uh, way to surprise and delight the people who are involved in it, uh, as well as the human mind's kind of capacity to tell stories from seemingly random things, right? So, like, you were describing yeah. like how sometimes you could pull a card and you're like, oh, I don't know what this means, but the other person is like, <laughs> I know exactly what it means, right? And that you, it, it hits differently depending on whatever, you know, journey or thing that they're going on or, or whatever it sparks in them. And that's, I mean, that's, that's how D&D is so magical, right? Because you can roll yeah. a, a 20 sometimes. You're like, oh my God, that was the best thing in the world. It was so great. But, you know, sometimes it's not as important, right? Or sometimes it's not as dramatic. And then you think about what we do, right? Where we put these, these numbers and, and, and words in a book that aren't really a story. You can make a story through them. But there are all these yeah. ra- seemingly random elements. And then it's up to the dungeon masters and the players to weave that story together so that it makes sense. And sometimes you can tell that story to someone who wasn't at the table and it's compelling. But most of the time it's not because what is the magical was that time at the table and, and, and those yeah. memories that you forged from seemingly random elements. But the human mind is able to kind of weave the storyline through it. And so it's almost like you're having, when you're using these tarot cards, like, you know, a, a miniature D&D session that's yeah. not about D&D, but it is about, you know, and not about fantasy tropes and fantasy archetypes. It's about you and the relationship you have with this person. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, the like when you're talking about your job as the tarot card reader, it was making me think like, that's really good for a dungeon master. Like you are kind of there to hold that space for your players to explore in and have a collective story experience. So I yeah. do see, I do see the similarities. So yeah, let's get back to this specific product because that's really kind of cool. I love to hear about what, what the differences are between the uh, the D and D tarot deck uh, that's coming out and the standard tarot deck, and how you know fans of of D and D might enjoy this. Yeah, so um, the the D and D tarot deck is based on the Rider Waite tarot deck, which is sort of the the gold standard of tarot decks. It's like the basic. So this is the this is the the one that most people will recognize. Um, so it's got your major arcana for those who know tarot. It's got major arcana, minor arcana, and but when I changed it, so it's not like wands, swords, cups, and pentacles. Um, it's strength, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. So oh. it, it aligns to D and D that way, and they kind of map out pretty pretty nice. So in the in the handy dandy little booklet, I explain how those map. And then also for each of the um, cards, you know, it's got a, it's got a picture of each of the cards. So you can kind of reference it. It has the tarot meaning below it. And then below that, each of the cards has a random D&D adventure prompt or just some fun little thing you can throw into your game. So if you, if you're running your campaign as a DM and you want to add a little spice, you kind of, you get your deck, you fan out a card and you just pull it and, you know, you just get a random card and, uh, and then we'll have a little prompt. So I will, I will uh, read one of those. Uh, yeah. Oh, good. Like right so like one of them is um, like uh, the mayor of the town is missing. She has been charmed by a vampire. <gasps> oh my. Um, another one could be. Uh, Wait, what card is that for? Oh, uh, that is for duh, 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 the 10 of intelligence. Sweet. So, Do, are, there, um, are there a correlation or is this it's just more random? 
uh, prompt. Yeah. So when I, uh, when I wrote this, I tried to have the prompt like correlate as well to the theme of the card, the actual tarot card. Um, and in, in some areas I was like, oh, I, just, I didn't have anything that kind of quite captured it. Um, but you know, more often than not, it will, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, but they're all just, just like fun little things. Some of them could, you could spawn a whole campaign out of it. Some of it is just like, oh, this would be a fun little thing to do. Um, and it could be also fun for your players. Like, and, you know, halfway through the game, if you get to a, like a stopping point, and your players are still like, hey, I want to do more. And you've only prepared so much. And you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't have any, like, what, what, what will I do? Um, you can just get this thing. You can just pull it up. And you just get a little a little adventure prompt right there. Um, or That's if you're cool. just, you know, thinking you'd want to do a one-shot for your your pals. And, you know, it's tomorrow. And you're like, oh, gosh, well, what am I going to think of? So you can just get the tarot card. And you, just, you can pull one or two and then push them together and then make a story out of that. Um, I have an example in the book um, where you have three cards and, you know, I weave each of the three cards together and then I take two of the three cards and I weave those together into like story prompts that, you know, hey, this could be a really cool, you know, step one, you do this, you have a little combat. Step two, you do this. It's a little exploration. Step three, you do this. You go to like another dimension or another portal. You go to the Feywild. So, uh, so yeah, you can use this deck in a, in a totally in a D and D way and, and not as a tarot deck. Um, or you can use it as a full on tarot deck. If you're, if you're a tarot reader or you want to get into tarot reading, because in this booklet, I kind of lay out the basics of sort of my philosophy of what tarot is and how to go about it and how to start off on your sort of merry way as a, uh, as a reader of cards. That's so cool. Yeah. So what if you are not a tarot card reader but you want to incorporate tarot cards into your game with your player. Like, how would I, as a dungeon master, just weave in some tarot readings for my players? Or how would I use them in game? I mean, you could do it. Like, in Curse of Strahd, we had the Taroka deck, which yeah. is, um, you know, you could use that. Um, one of the ways was to randomly figure out where the the items were that you needed to find in Barovia to sort of defeat Strahd. Um, but you could also just assign meanings to each of them and have, you know, uh, you know, somebody do a tarot reading the game. For this, uh, I would just like, like you could have a situation where, you know, a character goes into, an, uh, you know, like a, a, the fortune teller's hut and you could have them pull, you know, a card and then the fortune teller could be like, you know, pull this card. Well, I don't know if we can see it, but this card has like, there's a like a mind flare here that's like trying oh, to God, get the mind that. of this monk. <laughs> oh. And, you know, but the monk is in such a state of like, you know, meditation and power that it's, it's warding off the mind flare's ability to affect them. So, you know, you could just give that to a, you know, uh, a player and just say, well, you know, this was your reading. And then they, then from there, you could kind of riff on it. I it could be that. that. Yeah. It's like, oh, the mind flares are coming for you or, or there's a wizard is employing a mind flare to attack you. So, yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Also, like if the, at the beginning or any point in the game, if you handed out cards to your players and let them mm-hmm. interpret and just be mm-hmm. like, hey, whatever is you in, you take from this card is now like a part of your history, a part of your backstory. Yeah. Or it's like, 
yeah. something in your future. Like this is like a secret that you have. Like, but whatever they interpret from it, because I'm sure everyone's interpretation is obviously different. Uh, yeah, and that's like Greg's earlier point. Like that is D and D and the word D and D and tarot just interact because it's the imagination. Like D and D is all about you know strengthening, exploring uh, the imagination, and same with tarot. And I think ultimately, you know, that's where we get meaning from our lives. We imagine ourselves, what we want to be, you know, who we want to be, how we want to, we, we know who, where we're, where our weaknesses are. We, we imagine a strength that we want to embody. Um, and so like, yeah, in this game, you could, you could hand out these cards and then, yeah, the imagination goes nuts and just, yeah. you know, and, and as you become like a DM that, you know, like, the improv comedy part of it, the improv part of it, like you become a DM that's like, you could hand that out like in a session zero of a game and just like, here's all the cards, you know, send me whatever your impressions are. They send you their impressions and you weave stories around that about, yeah. you know, how to weave it into their game. You that's could so say cool. everybody in the party had the same dream. Like you just oh, hate, yeah. like let pass around the same card and then, like you've all slept last night and saw this vision in your dreams. What does it mean? Oh, I'm inspired. I want to play now. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is. It's so exciting. I wanted to like just go back a little bit because you were talking. I again because I love I love anything like metaphysical. I'm I'm mysticism. I'm in. I'm I'm already sold. Bring me to a medium. Bring me to a psychic. Bring me to a tarot. I'm in. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that much about. The, the tarot deck itself. And you had said that you mapped the the different abilities to the swords and wands. Cups. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't, can you explain a little bit more about what that means and, yeah, and how you so, mapped? Um, so in traditional tarot, there, there's the wands or sometimes they're called rods. Um, there's swords and then there's um, cups and pentacles or coins. Um, so when I was thinking about this booklet, it's like, well, how do, how do we map that to D&D? And so uh, wands are traditionally about strength. And so about like your physical presence in the world and, and, and moving, you know, your physical body and how you can interact with stuff and action. Um, swords traditionally represented intelligence and intellect so and i think the metaphor for that was like cutting the truth from the lie and the keen blade of the intellect so thinking your way through things and then uh the uh the cups was like the emotions and your intuition and um and so that then related to wisdom so that was like the, the wise you know people like you know, the, the way you do handle it is, you know, the, you know, how wisdom interacts in your life. So, and then the, uh, the, the pentacles or coins was like charisma. So it was like how, you know, your charismatic being makes things happen. And by, you know, interacting with, um, so like in the book here, I wrote, you know, charisma denotes a person's confidence, eloquence, and their ability to influence the material world with their energy. So it's kind of the way that coins operated as well. You know, it's like, you know, how abundant, you know, how you can bring abundance to yourself and all that stuff. So, um, 
So I mapped it as, as best I could to something that D&D players can understand because I, you know, I had in my brain, like, there are going to be two people that, that want to get this. Um, there's going to be tarot readers that are like, wow, this is new tarot set. It looks really awesome because uh, the artist Fred Gazubel did an amazing job on each one of these cards. They are beautiful. Just phenomenal. Yeah, they're just, they're really cool. Um, and so tarot readers are going to come to this and then be like, what's this D&D thing that it's attached to? And then they're going to learn a little bit about D&D. The other people are D&D players who are like, this is a new, cool new D&D thing that I can use in my D&D game, but what's this tarot thing? And it might be this sort of on-ramp. Into so it's kind of on-ramping in both directions, which you know I was aware of and I was trying to do as best I could in this, uh, in this booklet, so, um, which was a fun challenge. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, then, then we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll have <laughs> great tales of uh, D&D games and also uh, metaphysical uh, uh, anomalies. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about the artwork because... That's of interest to me. Uh, I I know that there's many different types of tarot decks out there with um, with new artwork for each one of the cards, right? That's that's there's there's like I guess the traditional look, and then there's 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 many different types of tarot cards uh, out there that use different kind of art. But how how does that um, impact your interpretations? And you know you know what what kind of um, yeah, maybe we could just talk a little bit more about the D&D specific uh, uh, deck and how that artwork kind of can be used. Yeah. Um, the I know, like, depending on which tarot sort of decks you, you know, people, like, there are traditional tarot decks that have traditional kinds of symbols. Like, the... There and, and in the D and D deck, I I tried to stick as close as I could to the major arcana. So the major arcana are these um, twenty one, I believe, um, tarot cards that that they have to do with um, universal um, perennial sort of like archetypal things that happen to human beings. So it goes from zero card, which is the fool all the way up to 21, I believe, or 20, which is the world. Um, so, and, and it's the major arcana is like this, this movement from, um, you know, the full state of consciousness all the way through to the world where you kind of fully actualize. It's like the full journey of the human being. Right. So, and then the minor arcana are all sort of different. Um, there's, some traditional artworks that and symbols that are used in them, but I didn't hold tight to those. And I didn't hold terribly tight to the, because I wanted to keep, I wanted a more of a D and D feel to this tarot set than a traditional tarot set. But, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of similar, like somebody who really knows tarot will be able to see the similarities and be able to follow, um, you know, what the D and D, tarot cards are doing so you know i have every tarot deck has the tower and the star and the devil and temperance and death and you know the hanged man and justice like those are all traditional tarot and they all show up in this in this dnd tarot set so um so yeah the artwork is all um you can take like a rider white tarot deck and hold up a dnd tarot deck at least with a major arcana and be able to see similarities that way that's cool. um, but mm-hmm. but also uh, you know in this the D and pulled a lot of stuff from 
the Forgotten Realms from D&D history. Like you'll see, you know, elements during here and you'll see uh, Beholders and Mind Flayers, and, you know, um, you know, there's even a, a cameo from an abyssal chicken. So it's <laughs> 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 just like my fave. So yeah, you'll see. And those are the minor kind of cards that are more, uh, I guess, random. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, they're, they're, they're more. So when I, you know, it was, kind of thinking up the idea for the minor arcana cards i was taking um they they adhere to like the rider white tarot which is like if you had a nine of wands um it would have this certain message to it um and and in the DD tarot card i i pulled that basic message but then i then mashed it up with like DD tropes so you might have a card that is about like uh, let me see here if I can just give an example. Mm-hmm. Um, like the six of intelligence, um, that one is going to map to the six of swords. And the the writer weight would be something like, you know, you've got to sort of like leave the past in the past and and find a way to adjust your thinking to a different paradigm. So for the six of swords or uh, six of intelligence, I wrote freeing yourself from the burdens of old ways of thinking. And, um, and then you've got this image of, uh, let's see, this thing where there's this old sort of, you know, person who's like in a ghost form and they're Mm. moving through this threshold and then they're kind of manifesting themselves in this, in this colorful, solid three-dimensional way. So, um, so I would, I would write that sort of description in the art and then Fred would take that and interpret it in his style. Um, and, and his style is perfect for tarot cards. Like, um, I know early on Shauna and I were talking, um, about what this, this deck would look like and we were banding about ideas and, um, I don't know who found Fred, but uh, it was either somebody on the Clarkson Potter team or Shauna found him, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. As soon as we saw the artwork, we're like, oh my gosh, this is it. So, yeah. Shout out to Shauna Wolf Narciso, uh, yeah. director at D and D. She's uh, influenced a lot of the look and feel of Fifth oh, Edition, uh, mm-hmm. and so yeah, this this has her fingerprints all over it for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this artwork is really cool. So I mean, we can't show it here. This is an audio podcast, but it really does have that stained glass type of storytelling, right? Where it's like a image that has so many details and almost Baroque feeling to it, but is up for interpretation. Yes. Which is exactly what you want for something like this. Yeah. There's so much in each card. There's so much to look at. And it's. I would be really interested to hear how people respond to the cards differently, which is why I I love the idea of of playing, of having them show up in your D&D game and just see like... Like I didn't even see the mind flare until you mentioned the mind flare in that one card that you showed us. That was not where my eyes yeah. went, but yeah. maybe Greg would have. You know, that would have been the first. That thing That is Greg the first saw. thing I saw. I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. mind flare. No. Yeah. This is why. This is why I ran into a mind flare in the office. I just don't see them. I literally <laughs> ran into them. Some people have face blindness. You have <laughs> mind flare. Blindness. I do. I have mind flare blindness. I don't see them until it's it's too late. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we have a couple minutes left. I think I would be just love to just get. I mean, we don't have to do like a full on reading or anything like that, but just pull a few random cards yeah. uh, for Let's for we can go back and forth a few of them for me and for Shelley and just be like, what what do we? Oh my god! See, did you notice Adam put on different glasses? For different this? glasses. Oh yeah, these yeah, are... these are like the up close, up close and personal glasses. <laughs> um, 
so yeah so really what i I do is like you know i'd have you guys shuffle up the cards like some people like you know the tarot reader does all the shuffling i'm like no get your hands in it like get our card you want to pick that's right get the mojo in there um and i think that's you know part of the fun of tarot is really having doing doing the thing you know like really like if you love the the psychic stuff and the future you know reading the future like go for it um it's you know like my personal thing is just like uh you know we we you know who knows you know who, who really knows what's going on in this here crazy world of ours so i'll say here's shelly's card Whoop. Whoop. oh guess what you got after lots of shuffling you got the king mm. oh the one with so, the burying of the sword yeah, so this doo, doo, doo. Bum, bum, bum. this is the king of uh, I'm looking up in this handy dandy little book now. A very well written book, I might add. Right. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> the king of strength. Yes. All right, Shelly. It says fully expressing your powers of leadership and realizing your vision. As well as teaching others. That is the message of this card. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, really start to meditate and get into like fully expressing your powers of leadership and realizing your vision. So, you know, finding out what, and if you're like, I have a vision, like I, I've got this vision that I'm, I'm enacting right now, or it could be like, I've got this vision that I've been thinking about, but I've been kind of too scared to do it or right. that I, I am not clear on it yet. Or it could be like, I have no vision. And then we go, well, let's talk about that. That's what, what would be a vision. If you had a vision, what would it be? So that's kind of how the, the reading would go. And I, then the other- I like it. I see like I have many visions. Like I can tie this to like professional, like I'm thinking about mm-hmm. like a work thing, but also a personal thing projects like and then a little bit of imposter syndrome where it's like but why me like why would somebody think that like I have an expertise in this area when there's so many other people who do this better but you're now I feel like no that card is saying stop doubting yourself you have the strength is within you you have lessons to teach you have things to teach people the king of strength it doesn't get more, you know, it, the, the strength is like, bam. And the idea of the, you know, there's all these cool symbols in the card. Like if, if you actually had the card in your hand, you could look at it and just look and see what the symbols mean to you. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's something in my life that, you know, means like there, you know, I planted this, the, you know, the king has the sword planted in the ground, you know, and the tree is growing from it. And then. You know, the king's holding, you know, like, yeah. a, a, I think that's like a glowing light in the king's hand, you know, there. Yeah. So, yeah, teaching and yeah, teaching other people. Yes. So, you know, you are, you know, a teacher of teachers, right? Fertilizing you know? the ground with my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, vision. Yes. <laughs> you can really like, you know, get get into this. Yes. yes. See that's what that, you want to see. Yeah, and that's card number one. So you could right. you know, draw a bunch of other cards and get attached to it. But uh, and I will, I will draw a card for Greg here. 
Yeah, after all this, uh, I'll do some more shuffling. Focus, it's going to be the King of Swords again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one. Maybe. Oh. Well, here we go. Let's see here. I've got to pick up my glasses. I dropped on the ground here. You knocked the glasses see. right off Adam's face you with that one. You blew the glasses out of my noggin here. <laughs> <laughs> it was that intense. <laughs> Greg's energy. Um, oh. You got this fun little gnome character. Oh. Cute. Wow. Yeah. So we see, I see a, a, You're getting a, a gnome with a, a cone, turquoise hat, big white flowing beard. It looks like he's sitting cross-legged with a, yeah. a cat-type creature with very big ears in front of him inside of a yeah. treehouse. So this card is the Four of Wisdom. And so what this card is all about is taking time to meditate and let go of all the noisy thoughts that are in your head. (gasps) So it's just, you know, in in our crazy busy lives, um, we are just constantly filling our heads with thoughts. And it's to, yeah, really, we don't, I think as a culture, uh, we don't value silence. Um, but mm. the way I, I think of it is that, you know, you take a symphony and if it was all just notes, it would just be like, you know, it just, there wouldn't be any space. And if you listen to like some, the great symphonic composers like Mozart, Beethoven, they have lots of long silences, you know, where the, you know, yeah. it, 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 this, it's the silence that gives the notes um, their meaning and strength and power. Wow. And uh, so it's, it's take time to get into that silence and really empty the mind and also to see the mechanics of the mind that when you do go silent and you're just watching your thoughts, watch what comes into your head. Like all of a sudden the mind's like, oh, what am I doing? Oh, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> got to get to the future or oh, I don't want to forget that or, oh, that's son of a gun. You know, like, oh, I'm so mad at that or, oh, oh, I don't know what to do with that, you know. And it's just like this running crazy commentary. It's like, okay, I'm just going to let that go. And I found that it's like it gives the brain a real rest. You know, the brain rarely rests. And, man, when it rests, you have so much more power in your thinking and also you know, speaking from silence has a different kind of quality than speaking from complete noise. So that's amazing. That would be the reading for that. Question. I have so many interpretations of that, mostly because I just came off of uh, a vacation with my family. I love my family. Mm-hmm. There are three very extroverted individuals and <laughs> uh, there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of noise. There was a lot of constant uh, things happening and then the first couple of days back here at work, they were back at school. I was alone in the house, but I was still so nervous. I was still so like caught up in that. And mm-hmm. I kept telling myself kind of what you were telling me of like, it's okay. Take some, take a breath, have some silence, be in that silence a little bit. And uh, that's how I interpret that. And then also the cat, I've been inspired by uh, our friend Kate Walsh and her oh my God. Uh, two hairless <laughs> cats that she's been showing on Instagram. And, and I, I, maybe we'll you get a, a hairless cat because of this Stop it. I want it. I want a hairless cat. I might do it. And, and your reading has convinced me to do it. <laughs> no <on>. way. <laughs> that's gnome. huge. Be the gnome. Be the gnome. We should all be more gnomey. 
And there is a yeah. gnome Balthazar in our <laughs> Drunky Two Shoes setting yes. that has been really fun. Maybe that's really what it was pointing to. It really is just like you got to get to that. <laughs> it's so cool, though, because, again, like you're seeing all of the different interpretations that Greg took out of that and how I, what I took out of my card. And, it, yeah. you know, they, every, they can yeah. mean different things. But it, I like that it kind of gives you permission to admit or, you know, what is really in your mind and let let it come to the surface. It's freeing in that way. Yeah. It's freeing. You know? yeah. yeah. That's awesome it's, stuff. It's uh, fun so stuff. Cool. I can't wait for I people to... Yeah. Say, uh, sorry, we keep interrupting you, but yeah, I, I can't wait for this to, to, to be available. I want to get my copy. Uh, May 24th, you said, Shelly? Yep. It will be available in bookstores and uh, hopefully game stores out there. So if you're interested in anything that we've been talking about today uh, as using it in a D&D prompt type of way or uh, as a, uh, uh, an additional tarot deck for you to use uh, potentially, this all sounds really cool. Adam, thank you so much for coming on to, to talk through it. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great to see you both and glad things are going groovy and you're having fun. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm always happy to come back and talk about whatever uh, strikes uh, the Dragon Talk uh, fancy. <laughs> I know you're doing lots of awesome stuff. Uh, so where, where can people find out about the, the projects you've got upcoming when they become public? Yeah, uh, all my stuff right now, like I'm working... Yeah, I started my own IP dev company with Ari Levich and uh, at Adam of Adventure. So yeah, that's where I'm at on the Twitters. And uh, and then you yeah. and Ari are starting something. What's that company called? Yeah, Mysterious Alchemy. Mysterious and, uh, Alchemy. I like. Yeah, that. we are working. We're working with uh, a couple really cool companies. There's there's one I can talk about, which is uh, Ghostfire Games, and. Oh, nice. uh, but we've got two really big projects and we'll probably be working. Uh, we are already talking with, uh, Camerano at, at wizards about working with them and, uh, you know, and Hasbro. And so, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not far from the building Yay! at all. So Yay. yeah. In fact, we got to go up to the East gate, uh, and chat with them about it. So, um, so that was fun. Great. So, yeah. It's, it's, things are going great. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, couldn't be, couldn't be happier. Well, That's I'm awesome. sure I could be happier, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You're one of those people that I kind of think really couldn't be happier. You are so yeah, happy. There are days. There are days <laughs> like holy shit balls. There are days, but uh, you know, yeah, we're all human, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Until you draw the right card, and then you're like, oh, yeah, this is where I can center call. myself. Be gnome and sit <laughs> in the tree trunk and just chill. Be gnome. <laughs> Let's Good all advice. be gnomey. Good advice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Adam. Thank you, and, Adam. Uh, can't wait to see you again. Thanks. Oh, yeah, it's great oh. to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, really, Anytime. Really appreciate it. Man, I want to give Adam Lee a hug right now. I feel like just talking to him is like being em- just embraced in a nice warm hug. It's being in the presence of one of the most beautiful human beings we know. <laughs> of. We literally cannot stop saying enough nice things about Adam Lee. <laughs> We like to build them up. That's what we do here. We lift oh, everyone up. Just the best, uh, especially Adam. Uh, he's a, he really is a wonderful totally. dude. And uh, yeah, I I mean, I don't know much about tarot. Uh, I know a lot more than I did before that interview. And I'm intrigued. I want to see yep. how we can use it and how it can be added to uh, you know the kind of storytelling arsenal that dungeon masters have at their fingertips. I agree. 
Sweet. Well, you can follow along uh, what's going on with Dungeons & Dragons. As I said, lots of news just dropped last week for D&D Direct. Check out all of our social media and video channels for that. So twitch.tv slash D&D. Go to the YouTube channel. Like us on Facebook or in TikToks or all the places that you do stuff. We're there. We're there. We're making it happen. I can be following Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. So fancy. So fancy. I am Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. Check it all out. Check it. And it is now time to check out what's happening with Drunky. Oh boy. All right. So there's a very, very large, gargantuan, even doppelganger rampaging Waterdeep right now. You were able to uh, jump onto the back of a griffin that is being piloted by, well, more by you at this point, but was piloted by Balthazar, the gnome wizard. You just rescued uh, Daryl Two Shoes from being dropped onto the streets after a uh, 50-foot dr- uh, fall. And then you laid him... In a wonderful... In uh, a manger. Wagon of, of hay. A manger, if you will. And you're turning to bank into the monster. Uh, yes. There's lots of spells from various mages and griffin guards uh, trying to attack and destroy this monster before it does more damage to the city itself. Lots of screams, lots of fires. What do you do? Um, is it my turn? Like it's your turn. Okay. All right. Uh... No me! I am going to light this guy up with a firebolt. You know, you've been so good at uh, piloting this thing better than I have. I, you want me to handle it and you do the driving? You don't think I can drive and cast a firebolt? Well, you mentioned you needed to rest. I know what that means as another magic user. Uh, yeah. I, I'm full spelled up. I, I need like a long rest, dude. Do not but you can't rest now. No, so t- that's why I'm in a fireball. You take the reins. I want to fight. I I can do both. Okay. okay. I hold on to the reins with one hand and then go with my firebolt. All right. Uh, fi- firebolt or the fireball wand Bolt. he had given you? Did he give me a wand? He did. Uh, I'll just use my... F- you hold on to your wand because you use that. I'll use the my, my cantrip. Okay. I, I can just cast these all day. So <laughs> as this, this whole conversation is, is playing out, you guys have been like jockeying for position. He's like, no, you drive. No, you drive. No, you drive. And then now both of you, have, each of you have one hand on the reins and you're Dude. both kind of uh, pointing with uh, fingers and wands at this monster going at it in full tilt. So go ahead and roll me... Um, your, uh, I guess I got to roll ooh, for... Ooh, 21! You got 21 a 21 on hit? hit. All yep. right, roll damage for your firebolt. Nine. Um, nine. And uh, the save does not go well for the creature. So uh, you're, you're, you're shooting out a firebolt, and he, um, Balthazar, releases a fireball, small point of light again, and they both simultaneously hit the monster kind of right in its chest. And yeah. Um, and it fails its save. It got a four on the roll for a save to avoid the fireball. So there is lots of fire explosion uh, happening in front of you. And you have to, because you're going, you're going at full speed, you now have to try to get out of the way of this huge monster who is in this explosion. So roll me an animal handling check to see oh, if you are my able God. to maneuver. 17. 17, okay, that's good. I was going to give it a 15. So yeah, Oof. you're able to bank 
uh, along with Balthazar uh, away. So if you can imagine this big, huge explosion, the, the griffin flies by, and uh, there is... I'm adding this up very quickly. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of dice rolling. Um, it's for the fireball. Uh, oh. So that's uh, 26 damage from the fireball, including, and then your uh, fireball damage. So, Nice job, There Nomi. is flames still on the monster, so it almost looks like it ignited some of the ooze and pus uh, that is on this doppelganger. Oh, and God. it is continuing to have damage, and you are going but away. it's and still alive. It's still alive, but you are past it. And we'll pick it up next time, uh, what you do next or what it does next more accurately. I got to give Nomi a high five. You guys get a high five and you're like, yeah, way to go, teammate. Are you sure you don't want to go join the guild now? I mean, we'll talk.